Hello, I'm Raki Rajani, Chief Digital Officer at Genomics England. It is my absolute pleasure to be guest hosting today's episode of The G Word. And if you've listened to us before, you'll know that we're trying to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone. And that involves accelerating genomic research and also working with the NHS to bring genomics into the heart of healthcare. Now, genomics is a word that can trigger really strong emotions, hope, fear, anger, and there's a lot of information out there, but it's not all accessible to non-experts, and there are a whole bunch of myths out there too. So we want to talk more about this word, the G word, genomics. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the G word. I'm super excited to welcome Harpreet Sood um, to the G Word podcast this morning um, and uh, very keen to hear uh, from Harpreet about his uh, explorations in the world of digital health. So Harpreet, huge welcome to you um, and looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks, Rocky. Uh, great to be here and uh, thank you for the opportunity and look forward to uh, discussing, chatting and uh, talking about uh, digital health. Brilliant. So, um, Harbreet, you have had a, a pretty extraordinary career to date from being a primary care doctor, um, all of your work in digital health and AI uh, advisory around the world. You're a board member at, at Health Education England, co-founder of the NHS Digital Academy, a trustee at the South Asian Health Foundation and the clinical advisor for a variety of programs of health uh, in the UK and, and other parts of the world. So that's quite a set of activities and quite a career. Tell me a little bit about how you have found yourself in the world of digital health and what are the key trends and um, drivers of change that you're seeing in digital health that most excite you at the moment? You know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a really important question. So let me kind of rewind a little bit to just, you know, put in context uh, the relevance of digital health and how I kind of fell into it. Um, so it's really during medical school when, uh, you know, in the kind of early 2000s when I was um, studying at uh, King's, back then you see it was called like health IT. You know, things weren't as cool as like digital health or AI, all these technologies we have at the moment. It was just simply called health IT. And, and there's a lot of focus around electronic health records and patient records. But during medical school, I got the itch that, um, you know, is there a world that's uh, more than just medical practice? Now, at the time, it was a, a bit of a radical thought because when I would say that to some of my medical professors, they'd be like, no, the only way really forward is by you spending time on the wards and, and, and spending time with patients. And uh, I felt that was helpful, but I felt that actually, if we really want to think about how we want to deliver you know, care to our patients, but also make it more accessible, think about potentially improving outcomes, being more safe and high quality, and, and then you know, could technology be a potential answer? So I kind of started uh, looking around, sniffing around and, and end up research, you know, coming across research and interesting people who are doing exactly that. Um, and in the UK at the time, there was an interesting company, which is still around today, called Patient Knows Best. And it was during that time when I spent a good time with Mohammed that I realised that actually this concept of giving patients access to their own records makes total sense. Like, why are we holding on to patients' records and, and, and not letting them see it? Like, if I was a patient and you know, I wanted to know what was going on with me. I wanted to get a bit of insight. I wanted to get my access to my bloods and others. It just was a very difficult task. And by spending time with Mohammed and then moving to the US for 
uh, further study. And it was there really that it, it kind of all fell into place because not only was there a tremendous amount of money that was going into the role of uh, tech and digital health uh, and how that could shape things up, but actually there was a huge amount of excitement and innovation that was also occurring. And I was in Boston at the time, and you know that was like the mecca for uh, innovation, like I said, digital health, health tech in general, and, and all the investors were pouring money into it. Now, you know, a lot of these companies, probably a lot of them have disappeared and I haven't kept track. But for me, it was exciting because I managed to get a bit of seed funding to co-found a digital startup at the time, which was called Mighty Lungs. And essentially what we were trying to do was uh, solve a problem for a local community hospital. And the problem for them was that they were finding it difficult to ensure that children did not get admitted into hospital because they were not using their inhalers. And so this was a real problem for them, especially in the winter months. And we felt that actually through my team and others that we might be able to design a solution. And so we did through a sensor-based technology and gamification because by children, we wanted to create a game where we can incentivize them, but also by developing a sensor on an inhaler, we could then track and monitor how often they will take the inhalers, but also help parents because we realized that parents through our design workshops, that parents uh, were finding it very difficult and didn't understand what asthma was and didn't know how to engage their children. Through all that, we created a prototype. But what happened at the time was that we were a bit ahead of the market. The market didn't really know what we were doing. There wasn't a commercial viable model at the time. And we ended up then selling our uh, technology to, to, to a rival. But that really gave us the insight to say, or gave me the insight to say, actually, this is just the beginning. I then moved to the UK and, and, and started doing a lot more in that. But that, for me, was an opportunity to say, actually, this is just the beginning. And we will start seeing more and more technology solutions coming in that make it more accessible with the rise of internet, with the rise of the smartphone, with the rise of you know, sensors, wearables, etc. that actually this will all converge and make healthcare a much safer, higher quality uh, uh, you know, ecosystem and, and service provision. And you know, we're still on that journey. Now, obviously we've seen an advancement of this, the trends that we're seeing, especially with COVID and the pandemic, you know, we've accelerated that because people have got used to generally using smartphones, the internet, uh, online services for so many other parts of their life that actually they're asking now, can we do the same in healthcare? And and the boom that we've seen uh, over the last kind of 15 to 18 months, not only from the patient and the citizen side of wanting them, them wanting to access more about the healthcare, but actually from the clinician and workforce and health delivery side, we're also seeing a lot more because we need to think about how can we improve the efficiency, access, accessibility, but also the productivity that we have, because ultimately complexity of care is rising, the demands on the health system are rising, um, and there's a massive shortage of healthcare professions in general. So if we think about all these different trends coming through, I think we're trying to, we're heading towards a sweet spot that the role of tech is going to become more and more important, and we're staying a lot of interesting, exciting companies in that, but how that plays out now is going to be an interesting uh, moment for us. Um, so a couple of things you said there are really interesting. Uh, the role of tech is clearly um, a force right here. And in terms of what you did with, with Mighty Lung, I think that that's a, a great example of that. But what, what stands true for me in what you've just said is also there's, there's something very important there about the technology as an enabler versus the technology as an answer. And what you shared about getting you know, kids and parents involved in creating solutions, I, I imagine, is is a way of building trust in the in in the technological solutions that, that we might be putting out there. So talk to me a little bit 
about how some of the, the, the tools that you've been working with or have created have almost been an enabler in building trust within communities, whether that's a community of people that are suffering from a condition or whether that's communities uh, in a different sense of the word. I'm, I'm assuming from what you said that there, there is some uh, building of trust and building of faith that you need to do before just saying, here's your technological solution to, to some problem you're facing, because that isn't necessarily always the answer. Yeah, no, exactly, uh, Rocky. And I think that you, you, it's a really important point that you've drawn out here. And and that is, and again, if I can go back to the example, is that simply, you know, we embedded ourselves in the community. We embedded ourselves with the healthcare professionals that had this genuine problem and thought out, well, what is a solution we can develop here? And that kind of mindset and approach, I often feel like, um, you know, talking to innovators, entrepreneurs, isn't always the approach they take. Many just see healthcare as another opportunity. Many see them, okay, well, if I've done it in this world, I can do this in healthcare. But you really need to get into the heart of what is the problem you're trying to solve and who is your customer, uh, who is going to be the end user. And the thing about healthcare is that you end up having multiple end users and multiple customers because you've got clinicians, you've got patients, you've got patients' families. And... All that needs to be factored in. And, and that, for us, that was, I think for me in particular, was a really eye-opening moment because if we had gone in, and this is being hypothetical, but I think it's an important point, if we had gone in blindly and said, well, okay, well, that's easy. We know that no one's using the inhalers. We'll just create an inhaler or, or something that um, it can be used and, and, and we'll just roll it out and, and then see what happens. Whereas if you go in and, and really embed yourself in the community, embed yourself with the people that are going to be using your solution and really understand from them, what their pain points are, you bring them along the journey with you. You bring them along the journey with you, you build that trust from the onset to say, you know, we're doing this for you and we're working together. Let's not worry about what this might mean from a commercial model, what, let's not worry about how we're going to sell it, but let's build something that's going to work for you and it's going to work for then many other people because, you know, healthcare is complex, but ultimately the problems remain very similar regardless of where you end up being or where you are. Uh, and so I think that's a really important point. And so for us, um, that trust element for me was, like I said, key. And I've seen that again play out recently with the rollout of the vaccines. And I've been fortunate enough and, and you know, had the privilege to uh, serve uh, as a clinical advisor to the vaccine program, the COVID-19 vaccine program. And there again, we've seen that actually, even though primary care uh, and the GP world is so critical uh, to the NHS, some of the relationships and the networks and you know, how we embed in the communities actually hasn't been as strong as we might have perceived. Um, and that's because historically we haven't developed those relationships with faith leaders, community leaders. And again, that's not a generalization. I think obviously there are parts of the country that have done that well, but generally they haven't. And the same principles apply when you're developing you know, digital health solutions or, or thinking about developing uh, tools that help enable this is that how are we doing this for the end user but at the same time bring them along the journey with us so that we build that trust and the credibility and uh, from the onset because that really matters when it comes to usage and adoption. Can you say a little bit more there about uh, building the relationships within communities that are perhaps underestimated, underserved and I know that's a, an area of passion for you, right, in terms of ensuring that, that healthcare reaches all. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you're approaching that or how we could be thinking about that, especially in the world of, for us at least, genomics, England, genomics, right, and, and it's a topic that is 
not necessarily known that well. It is um, a science that is still uh, emerging into the world. Can you can you share a little your, your thoughts on on connecting in the right way, but also enabling people to understand how they can take part in their own healthcare? Yeah, no, I think that again, a really relevant point, Rocky. And and for me, actually, um, two stories I'd like to share, if I may, on that. Firstly, you know, at the start of the pandemic last year. You know, I remember sitting in my clinic, I had a South Asian uh, gentleman come in, a Bangladeshi man, and I said to him, you know, isn't it great that um, you can now use your smartphone to um, do a video consult with me, uh, you know, in the comfort of your own home? And he turned around and said, you know what, Doc, not really, because I've got limited access to data and I'd rather use that data to uh, talk to my family in Bangladesh. And I thought, wow, you know, that that's really interesting because... Here we are thinking that because we've got all this potential technology solutions and everyone's kind of using this, that it's going to be for everyone. But actually what we haven't figured out is what does this mean for, again, that end user and how do I work with him to figure out what this means for, for them? You know, I mean, again, just just sharing this con- story and I'll come on to the reason why that matters in a second. And, and the second has been actually the litmus test I often use uh, in, in a lot of my thinking is, Actually, my parents, and and the reason why I say that is because you know a lot of people talk about, oh, the elderly elderly don't use technology, or they don't know how to use smartphones or whatever. But actually, if I think about it, when it comes to things like WhatsApp and when it comes to things like other messaging tools, etc., they're probably using it way more than I am, uh, simply because it's just you know easy way for them to communicate with their friends and family. But also the fact that actually a lot of these technologies are quite easy to use. And when I started seeing a lot of the content they were receiving on the vaccine and the misinformation they were receiving, it made me realise actually, you know, they've got a, a GP in the house, well, both me and my brother, two GPs in the house, and, and if they're finding it difficult to understand what this all means, just think about all the families out there that have no access to easy medical knowledge like that. And and it made me realise actually it's a real problem here. And education and is critical to a lot of this, right, because ultimately... If, if they are getting all this information and, and they're using that information to make their judgments and, and decisions, it's it's potentially very unsafe. And um, and that made me realize, actually, we, we need to be doing a lot more here. And on your point then around the trust and how we might think about emerging science, such as genomics and others, I think there's a real job here that we need to do, which is that um, we need to simplify this as much as possible for people from all sorts of backgrounds and demographics and diversity to really understand what we mean by genomics or for example uh, if we use the case in point with what you're doing and I remember asking my mum about this I said you know what are your what do you know about, know about genomics and, and, and you know someone doing gene testing on you and you know she was a bit horrified um, but at the same time felt that you know we would take this blood sample and do all this stuff on her that and she just didn't want to engage and interact and I said to her, well actually Technology has advanced so much that you, you, there's a lot more easier ways to do that. But the question being that it's a complex science and, and, and she doesn't understand uh, on that basis. And because of that, they don't engage the alien themselves. And, and so I think that's why we have a big job there to do more. And, and, and again, using that story I said about the individual who, who I felt like because we have these solutions that everyone will use it. Again, it's an example to say that just because we have it, have it doesn't mean people are going to use it and the engagement is difficult, is time consuming, is resource intensive, but it's critical if we want people to understand what what you're trying to do, understand why this matters, but really come down to their level 
because their view of the world is often very different to our view of the world. And I don't think we do a very good job in general where we meet in the middle there, where we try and understand the two worlds. Um, and, and that's where I think there's a real opportunity here to, uh, and again, this is not just for genomics, but also emerging technologies such as AI solutions and even the digital health solutions that are being developed. We need the worlds to meet and, and, and look at eye to eye there because ultimately that's what's going to drive adoption and engagement and, and the user uh, benefiting from such solutions. I think your point about bringing the different views of the world together is, is a really a point really well made. And I think that something you said when you were narrating the two stories you did is uh, you mentioned the word, how do I work with uh, versus doing to? And the the working with, I think, is also a, a, a really interesting point to explore it further, because it's a very simple thing to say. And we all like to think we work with. But something that I think you're interested in, I think, know we've talked about a little bit in the past is moving away from the language around this is a patient and, and, and something is being done to them to how we start a conversation around citizens of health, for, for example, which to me speaks to your with and your bringing worlds together versus doing two. Can you, can you share a little more on your thinking around, if you like, citizens of health versus just a patient that's receiving healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, there's a professor at UCL called Mariana Nazucato. I don't know if you've come across it, but she's been doing a lot of really good thinking around the role of innovation and in particular what that means for healthcare and, and how, from a healthcare perspective, we need to think about missions, but also think about healthcare not just being about health anymore. You know, we need to think about this as how this benefits the economy, how this benefits the environment, how this benefits society and community and, and when you start thinking about it from that and, and i think she's she's done a very good job on this when you start thinking about it from that perspective you realize that actually the interaction that i have with my patient for those 10 to 12 minutes is a very very small slither of what their life's really about and also during the pandemic and uh, even ongoing now actually because obviously we're still in the pandemic uh, you know, I'm seeing that a lot of the patients that come and see me in the clinic, yes, there's a small element of a medical concern they might have, but actually a lot of them are coming with wider social issues. Uh, and, and, and obviously mental health you know, tr crosses both uh, because uh, it has societal impacts to the individual, but also them as a personal. But then I'm seeing a lot of patients that come to me because of housing issues. Uh, financial issues because they don't have money to pay certain things and there's issues with that and when you start incorporating all that you realize that actually that the patient element of it is again like I said a small slither but these are all individuals that are having ongoing issues and health is a proxy for them because it's accessible it's it's you know a way they can interact with their clinician but actually they've come for wider things and, and that citizen element then plays a really important role because this is about how do we create societies and communities that are allowed to or unable to flourish essentially and, and again there's been some really good research around this which looks at community health and, and, and empowering communities and how you know those parts of the community that are more linked with um violence or gang related uh, aspects of it you know they have a higher risk of developing heart disease than that than those that might be in more affluent settings i mean you know again if you encompass all that the role of citizen becomes 
critically important. And the role of citizen also becomes critically important when we think about how we democratize a lot of this, but also how we build that trust and get them to understand that health is just one element of it. And I think we have a real opportunity here to broaden the debate and widen the debate on saying that, you know, for you to lead a healthy life, we need to think about X, Y, Z, i.e. environment, the economy, the social issues, the community issues, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, where I am, we have a phenomenal charity called Guys and St. Thomas's Charity, and, and they've been doing some really, really exciting work exactly in a lot of this stuff is that looking at this from the lens of a citizen uh, on what health means and wellness means versus the patient interaction that you have with your clinician. And that kind of change and you know trend that is now becoming more apparent is really going to influence a lot about how we deliver healthcare but also how we engage with our citizens to make them more empowered for self-care, you know, getting them access to their own records, but also for them to drive certain initiatives. And, and that's what I'm super excited by. This seems to speak a lot to something I, I, I know you've spoken about before, which is systems and ecosystems in health. Can you can you say a little more about that? Because what, what you're talking about there in terms of looking at the whole, I think, is is very much in line with with the thinking around ecosystems and, and systems that impact healthcare versus just healthcare as a thing on its own. What what are you seeing as some of the, the shifts happening there? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think the thing about that is, you know, health can drive a lot of that, right? So if I go back to my example I shared with um, uh, with you about uh, the individual who came in and, and he didn't have access to enough data, for example, I mean, that's a classic example of how that, from a health perspective, can influence wider policy issue but also to help develop an ecosystem in the fact that why doesn't this individual have access to broadband that's freely available or available at a cost that they could use I mean you know that becomes ultimately a a social determinant of health and and, and there's people you know Jessica Morley Oxford in particular has written about this you know who is saying that you know access to online services and the internet should now be seen as a social determinant of health because you know, so much of our lives is dependent on that, that if you don't have a digital infrastructure or you're not online, then are you potentially not getting the right information? Are you potentially not being able to access certain services? Are you able to not communicate, interact with your uh, your clinician or, or beyond? And, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really, really important point. And that, again, plays into the part that, yes, from a national you know, health system, this might be certain aspects of it, but how we develop that ecosystem around the individual but also around a community becomes critically important because like i said health is just one aspect of it there has to be a wider understanding here that we cannot just look at this from the lens of a national health service and you know there have been a lot of questions in the past around you know are we providing a very reactive healthcare service at the moment rather than being a lot more proactive and we can only really be proactive and think about prevention and well-being if we build an ecosystem that thinks about all the other elements, uh, what it matters to have a healthy and, and well societal uh, community, right? So if we think about obesity, obesity is not just a purely medical problem. It's a wider ecosystem problem. You know, we need to think about all the other different elements of why people remain or, or you know, obese and, and are very difficult to solve that issue. So, you know, even if I have a patient come and see me, I will then say, okay, think about exercise, think about your diet. But yes, easy said and done. But when they go out and they don't have enough money 
by helping me or the fact that they have access to you know plenty of uh, junk food shops at, the, at their doorstep because we haven't think about reforming a high street i mean all these things i think play into it and that's where i think the ecosystem play is, is critically important and if i can bring this back to digital health a bit you know again that that's a really key aspect of it because access to services thinking about access to prevention services uh, matter and one example being that type 2 diabetes prevention program that I helped set up uh, in the NHS a number of years ago, that's now becoming more and more digital. And some research actually showed that, you know, in terms of differences of people accessing from lower socioeconomic or men is actually not uh, very much different in, in terms of what you would do from a face-to-face. And I think that really matters because there was always that fear that, you know, because of digital technologies, people may not access such services, but actually it's quite the reverse, that more and more people will engage with digital services um, because that's, you know, what they do on their day to their lives. But we need to think about that as we develop these systems and think how that plays into the ecosystem play too. Context is the word that's springing to mind quite a lot in, in this conversation. It's it's really understanding context and placing uh, things in the context of, of people's lives, which is it seems like, again, a very simple statement to say, but but I think uh, something we do need to consider more in, in practice. This, to me, is a, you know, speaks to the skills that we need going forward. And I think that to the point you made at the very beginning about how do I uh, move from just what I've learned in medical school and then bring in other uh, skills, tools, techniques, etc. Uh, you were instrumental in setting up NHS Digital Academy, and I know that you're pushing forward on on extending the skills that are relevant within within healthcare especially in digital in, in digital health can we talk a little bit about the skills gap or the skills that we need to be building into the world of healthcare as it changes absolutely and and i think this is a critical point from a workforce perspective in that if we are really serious about the digital transformation that we're seeing across healthcare which is where we are now and we're at the cusp of that you know that could absolutely modernize the way we deliver healthcare, but at the same time, it could have a a tremendous amount of harm when it comes to health equity. And and I think we then need to think about from a health system, how do we develop a workforce that really understands this and and then help build a scalable uh, system and, and solution that, that will benefit the most. And, you know, the evidence element of it is still emerging. There's still a lot of work to be done to develop effective solutions that have an evidence that show whether these things, uh, you know, digital tools uh, often work or not. But but I think in order for you, again, for clinicians, managers, even I think, you know, I would put patients and citizens into the bucket now as well, they need to think about what this all means and have a basic understanding of, you know, digital communication, data science, you know, all the kind of things that we think about now that, again, are being utilised tremendously in other industries the same would need to be applied in healthcare and the thinking really behind the digital academy as a starting point was that if you know we are thinking well if we are investing all this amount of money with, with electronic health records the tools you know you, you can't just wake up one morning and go right i'm going to do and implement digital transformation we need to think about our workforce we need to upskill them we need to give them the knowledge and, and really show them what the art of the possible is because ultimately, a lot of the transformation efforts that happen in, in, in industries are due to the people and the culture, right? And and that can't be changed if you will meet with initial resistance. Because, you know, the way I was seeing is that, that resistance was there because 
people just didn't understand what digital was, what we mean by a digital health app, or how can we use the data effectively to optimize X, Y, Z. And and now, if we start developing more and more people to understand that, you start getting people saying, I'm going to go and look for solutions out there rather than people coming in and pushing them solutions. And I think the narrative changes, the way you control that changes, and, and that becomes usually exciting because then again, going back to my initial example of when I was in the US, it was the community hospital that realized that they have a problem and they realized that actually a digital technology solution could well help here. And that's the kind of narrative and the change that we need for the system to be coming out with the problems they have and then reaching out for those solutions that might help them. And, and the only way they can really do that is that if they have the insight and the ability and the skills to do something about it. I think a, a really insightful take on not just within large healthcare systems, but also in the startup world too, right, around uh, there, there are a lot of health tech, biotech, et cetera, um, startups forming. Um, and I think the, the same applies there. It isn't just the, here's the technological solution, but what problem are we solving for and how are we going to address that in the right way? Exactly. And, and I think that's where it becomes a, a really unique opportunity. And even the same with genomics, if we go to like the context of this call, for example, this podcast, sorry, um, it, I think it presents with the same sort of solution is that with what we want to do, what is it that we can do that will engage our patients and citizens more in this? And, and that needs to trickle down to the individual rather than saying this is a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um. This has been a fascinating conversation, Harper. Thank you for sharing your experience and insight. Um, you know, as you've probably heard, that the more of these we do, the the more we're keen to get a wide range of voices uh, into the mix. Here, are there is there anyone um, that that you would love to hear from on on another version of one of these podcasts? Yeah, I can certainly throw some names at you, but I think what would be really good, um, Rocky, is to to get people on here that really understand the the how you develop community interventions and, and engage from a community development perspective um now you know whether that's uk or globally i think that perspective would be hugely powerful especially uh with the rise in genomics because ultimately you know you could really empower communities here and think about community assets to to drive that home now uh you know i think getting an anthropologist that understands um you know what that might look like could be fascinating a medical anthropologist you know but those kind of people are the things are the ones that we should be engaging with because we probably have enough people that can talk about tech and innovation but actually those that will really fundamentally change the fabric of society and, and or i've studied that i think will be hugely fascinating uh, for something like this Harpreet, thank you so much for taking the time today it's um it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and i'm hoping we can continue these conversations as we go along Absolutely, Rocky. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to engaging with you ongoing. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to this discussion about the G word and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it enters the mainstream of healthcare and society. Remember to subscribe to the G word on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. If you have views on these topics, if you have a suggestion of someone we should interview, then do write to us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed listening, 
please drop by and give us a five-star review as it really helps other people find out about the series. I'd appreciate it very much. I've been Raki Rajani. See you on the next episode of The G Word.